Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. I'm Dane Cash and it's time to get pretty serious. And I can't wait to get pretty serious as ever this week about the Vuelta, about the races that occurred in Plue that have very different names. <laughs> they, they must have hired the, uh, the Enico Tour. I'm sorry, Renui Tour uh, branding people for their... Uh, they're like very marketing. busy in late August and early September coming up with. Uh, yeah, that's their. It's, it's if you have that's a race in August, come come get us and we'll give you twenty eight thousand different names so no one knows when you're happening or what you are. Well, the listeners, you've you've now already been treated to the voice of Cosmo Catalano, co-host, bike racing analyst extraordinaire. Cosmo, how are you? And branding expert, obviously. Branding expert from those other comp- uh, other comments. I'm well. I'm good. I'm serious. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, we have a new guest today. Well, new to this specific Quotation podcast. Marks. He's certainly not new to listeners of podcasts on the Escape Collective Podcast Network. You would have heard his dulcet London tones in the placeholders. Johnny Long, chief podcasting while reclined correspondent. Johnny <laughs> Long. Johnny, welcome finally to Pretty Serious Bike Race. We're really glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm slightly apprehensive that I'm going to have to be pretty serious but i'm hoping the pretty is like a a negatory of the yeah it, of the serious it does kind of take it down a, it's a slight yeah just hedging level. language yeah yeah for sure. exactly okay got it got can it. you can you really say he has a london accent isn't london so big that you have to have the little like sub london that may be true yeah johnny do you have a specifically could could people tell what part of london you were from if you were out and about in the you know countryside no not really i probably have a bit more of a suburbs of London accent. There's probably only a couple of real London accents, but it's, it's more of a regional thing. Yeah. Either you're, you can tell if people are from like in London or from like dalliance with the outskirts. Got it. Okay. There you go. Straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> All right. Let's get pretty serious about the Vuelta. But first, listeners, you should head on over to escapecollective.com slash join. If you haven't signed up, if you're listening to this podcast, this is like... 30 episodes in or something at this point. It's about time you signed up. We we really need your support. Everything we do on the Escape Collective Podcast Network, everything we do at escapecollective.com, it's all funded by supporters like, well, hopefully like you. So if you're already a, a supporter, we are, we are very grateful. But if not, you should head on over. You can become a reader for $6.99 USD a month. You can sign up to become a full member for $11.99. You could save 30% with an annual membership. So there's lots of different ways to support everything we're doing here at Escape Collective. Again, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join to find out more. All right, Vuelta España. Cosmo, where where are we at this point? What What's happened in just a brief, you know, 30 seconds or less? What, what are the highlights of where we are at this point, just to set the scene for the conversation we're about to have? We, we had some interesting sprints. But I think the focus has mainly been GC race. Uh, when last we spoke, Remco Evenepoel was in the lead and wanted to get rid of it. He got rid of it a little bit harder than maybe he wanted to um, on stage six. Uh, if you watch him at the tortoise, we see, you know, he tends to leave a little gap when attacks start going and then crawl his way back. But he lost a little bit less than a minute to his top GC rivals. Uh, skip ahead over a Jeffrey Soup stage win to stage uh, eight. And we had... I believe three Yumbo riders trying to beat up on Evnepool, who had actually led into the climb with his team. Uh, they were unable to do much beating up, although Roglic did beat him in the sprint for a, I think, just bonus seconds. 
Uh, and then stage nine, we had another crazy Vuelta day where they decided to not race the GC race up the final two and change kilometers of the hill. Uh, so uh, somehow in that, I think there were there was a small, tiny gap between Vinigo and Roglic and Sepkus, um, who still leads the race, but um, probably not for keeps. And here we are. First rest day. Uh, they spent the night in Valladolid, north central Spain. There's a time trial tomorrow. We'll get to that in a while. There was all kinds of interesting happenings over the course of the last 48 hours. Unfortunately for some of the riders, it took a little bit more time to get to Valladolid than they'd probably hoped. We'll get to that in a bit. For now, let's just talk about this GC battle real quick. Uh, Lenny Martinez, good job, Lenny, for being the youngest Vuelta race leader ever and obviously someone who even when he lost the jersey he's been he's been up there he's been he's been working really hard with the climbers and yeah i think he's a rider that that uh obviously is is a rider who's going to be battling in these sorts of situations for a long time to come he's just 20 years old just turned 20 years old in july so chapeau lenny but yeah uh i gotta say i mean though the race has had Far too many stories that are not <laughs> racing-oriented. Uh, but the GC battle has been quite entertaining. It's been about as entertaining, I think, as a GC battle can be, in which the three race favorites all race for the same team. Uh, I can't <laughs> think of a, a, a situation where three race favorites racing for the same team is actually any more interesting than this. So it actually is pretty interesting. Are you outing yourself as the person behind Sepkus GC on Twitter? Uh, just, you you are calling him a race favorite. I am very pro Kuss's chances. We'll get to that. I think oh, Evanapool is obviously mm. up there too, but I really mm. do think he's mm. got a lot of time to lose. Obviously, mm. by the time the listeners have heard this, he might have already lost yeah. two minutes in the TT. Yep, that's kind of what I'm... like a dummy. Yep, that's uh, uh, what I would be worried about. Yeah, I don't know. What do we think? I think the man can chug some sparkling wine. Holy cow. That That was the moment of the Vuelta, I think, right? I mean, like, that that maybe transcended cycling media even. Uh, yeah, I hope it did. Car- Carlton Kirby was without, was, was speechless. Carlton Kirby was speechless. Yeah, that is, that's a rare occurrence. <laughs> that was, that was something else, for sure. And he's not a big guy, Sepkus. Like, that Kava bottle was an, a not insignificant, you know, proportion of his own body size. And he still managed to really just he housed it. There are some conspiracy theories going around that instead of it being carver, it's actually rose water because apparently that's what they fill some of the bottles with in other sports. Hmm. Um, but either way, it's a it's a decent chug for a, a pint-sized man. So do you think they should have handed out bonus seconds for that? That could be a nice little extra thing for the organizers to mess Seems up. Seems like something they would do at the Vuelta. Uh, this is, by the way, why <laughs> you're on the show, Johnny. We need that... <laughs> internet conspiracy uh all that intel <laughs> which i don't know that i get that i don't, I don't i'm not always up on that so it's I, good I thought you'd be far enough west in the u.s and i'm very much not there so that you'd bring the joe rogan sort of stuff to the podcast but if if you've got to get some weird british guy to do it then i'll, I'll play my role no problem okay i take it back this right that comment right there that's why you're on the podcast actually okay. it's it's to it's to really um fire up some of our listeners <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I do think that Kuz has a great chance. I want to talk about that in a bit. But first, how about some moments that stood out? Just anything that maybe 
went unnoticed or that, that we wanted to highlight? I mean, what, what over the past six or seven days has been something that's really stood out to either of you? For me, it's not purely racing specific. Um, it's, it's really more that the Vuelta seems to just have the, this thing like the head injury from memento deal. They, they only have short-term memories and it just resets every single day. Like they already had a stage of the race where things were messed up near the finish and they're like, oh, we're going to put the finish line here. Oh, wait, that's not good enough. Okay, we're going to put the finish line here. And then the race goes through and there's no obvious finish line. And then we saw it again on stage nine. <laughs> like there is no good, there's, there should be a go bag with everything you need for the finish line. And they should be ready to deploy that at any point in the race, communicate it out, just clearly make the call, get it done. I mean, I think, I think nine stage nine looked uh, to a viewer like, you know, maybe they didn't need to do this because, you know, they did actually have the stage race, the, the, the stage win uh, competitive all the way up to the finish. But it's, it, it just seems like they're completely caught on their heels uh, every time this happens. And I don't want to make it entirely a bad thing. I think the word you used to describe the GC battle was entertaining. And I, I think that's, adi- that's, that's applicable. Like, it is definitely entertaining. I just think that there is good entertaining and bad entertaining. And that Vuelta really wants more good entertaining. Uh, like, Caden Groves went on stage four, I think it was, where no one seemed entirely sure exactly where the finish line was because it was so twisty, it was so narrow. That was actually kind of good entertaining. That was a really cool sprint and really showed like what the rider Caden Groves is developing into. But stuff like, we don't know where the finish line is. We need an extra 45 minutes to an hour after the race to know what the GC g- gaps are. That is that is kind of less good entertaining. Um, and I don't know, with the backing of the ASO, how they're not more kind of tuned into this. I do want to go back, just in case our listeners uh, you know, aren't film buffs of fantastic early 2000s films it launched christopher nolan's career exactly in this film that you reference uh guy pierce cannot form new memories every time he wakes up so he goes through the day he tattoos stuff on his body so that he'll remember the next day when he wakes up because otherwise he just forgets everything and that's a really good analogy it's like the vuelta every day there's something new they've forgotten how to and you're right this is an aso uh, owned event you would kind of expect better i mean this is not this is not just your local crit. Yeah, but maybe all the like proper top ASO employees are all still on holiday because in <laughs> France you just get <laughs> like true. a bunch if you work like more than thirty hours a week. So it's I true. think that could be a reason. But it's interesting what you say about the difference between like good and bad entertaining because the the bad entertainment comes because they're trying to protect the good entertainment so you don't lose one of these GC guys. So I guess if you didn't have the bad entertainment, you just have. N- no entertainment maybe if like half of them Mm. crash out on like a muddy crash so like people there's always like following any sort of debate online with bike racing is just a non-starter really but if you don't (laughs) any like the race organizers anytime could do anything to change the race or if something happens like and you can't win and i to be to be honest seeing like a middle-aged woman standing on a little step ladder like noting things down or with a camera and there's two cones is just that's the most like this is a great our sports professional but the reason we love it is because someone could just put cones out i actually really like that it's not yeah i mean i didn't hadn't thought of it that way i feel like the vuelta organizers probably you're the target audience then uh because <laughs> yeah, that's one that certainly has what it's what it's felt like it's it's definitely you know inches away from disaster at every moment 
Yeah. Uh, Johnny, we briefly brought this up, but the Valladolid hotel situation, the, the rest day probably wasn't as restful as as maybe had been hoped. Yeah, just a, just a, a quick story that sort of emerged this morning. Uh, there were two charter flights for the Vuelta um, to take them to Valladolid. And the second one uh, got caught in like a storm. And so it couldn't really, it couldn't, it couldn't complete the journey. So it's a land in Madrid. And then all of the riders and everyone had to then get like coaches or buses to Valladolid from Madrid. Um, so Edward Turns was saying how he turned up at his hotel at quarter past three in the morning. And he hadn't really eaten because the the team staff are waiting at the hotel or at the airport to pick them up, give them snacks, give them food. So not the best recovery after one week of a grand tour, to be honest. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, definitely another, just another day at the Vuelta, though. I mean, that that's kind of been the vibe this year. Uh, hopefully the, the riders will be rested coming into the the, the time trial. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, uh, I mean, for if, me, you're, if you're going to be not rested, a time trial for 90% of the riders in the race is a good time for it to true. happen. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but not not so for Sepkus, Primus Roglic, <laughs> yeah. Remco Evenepoel, Jonas Vingegaard. For me, the moment that I kind of wanted to just just dig, in, dig into it just a little bit was not GC related. It was actually the sprint of a of a veteran racer who finally got a big win. Uh, I really loved Jeffrey Soup's uh, long range coming out of that corner in good position and going all the way. He was not the favorite for the sprint. He wasn't the second or third or the fourth or the fifth. He was way down the list of favorites. And yet, he just really played that perfectly. His his stage win, his first ever Grand Tour stage win. He's, what's he, 35? He'd never taken a Grand Tour stage win. He'd never taken a World Tour stage win, period. And he just positioned himself perfectly. We've seen Caden Groves be really, really strong so far in this race. And I think nine times out of ten, just in a head-to-head speed matchup, Caden Groves is going to win. But this particular stage, you needed to come out of that corner in a good position. And that is exactly what Soup did. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Loved seeing him win. Loved the reaction after the the disbelief when he was told it was a victoire for him. Yeah, it was great. So good on Jeffrey Soup. Nice job getting that big win after a not short time spent in the peloton. Uh, all right. This new little semi-segment here. Uh, this was an idea from... Kelly Fretz suggested we, if we can, if we had, you know, any props to give out for riders making smart moves, we should. Alternatively, the less smart decisions, we could, um, we could highlight some of those. So I asked our co-hosts come up with some either smart moves or, you know, moments of questionable judgment. And uh, Cosmo, what did you come up with? I came up with uh, with Yumbo uh, just in general, and I guess maybe more specifically on um, on stage eight. Uh, they had you know pretty clearly a huge advantage over Remco. They had three guys who were super strong. Uh, they could they started off kind of in a sensible way, sending Coos up the road, and you know Remco sensibly didn't react. He actually was adjusting his glasses when the attack happened and kept on adjusting his glasses. And you really, you know, you only get so many chances to capitalize on a rival that isolated. You know, we could be saying, oh, you know, they're so strong. They'll have the whole race to get more time. But like, he wasn't looking great on the previous GC day. 
I think, you know, for the for the real Sepkus GC believers, that was maybe kind of a silly attack because it, it really felt like he was setting up for the other two to do something, and they kind of didn't. You, know, you could say that, that Roglic did win the stage, got some seconds, but, you know, that's... For the numbers they had and the situation they had, I it feels like they were just kind of showing off more than anything else. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take this opportunity because you're teeing me up with a great segue here because I think Remco deserves some credit, possibly for the first time in his career, for some smart tactical <laughs> racing. We here in the Escape Collective Podcast Network are I feel like we're kind of ruthless with Remco and his and his strategy. I know that when I know that when I've been a placeholder, there's there's been some ruthlessness. And on this very podcast, Cosmo, you and I have have criticized Abby. Abby always criticizes Remco's tactics, but you know what? I think he he played things really well on stage eight. Uh, he essentially rode as a train of one. He just hit the front, rode really hard, and discouraged attacks as if he had a whole train of riders doing this for him. But it was just him. He was just there by himself. He had basically no support. Uh, and he just did what he might have done had he had a team of, you know, sky riders in front of him in 2015 or something. But they weren't there. It was just Remco. And, and it, it kind of worked. He did a really good job of discouraging attacks and, and limiting any potential damage that Yumbo might have done. Uh, I think the Yumbo uh, numbers advantage is, is going to be a massive hurdle for him to overcome. It, it already has, but we already saw their third rider pick up a bunch of time by getting into a break. But admirable attempt so far from Remco to limit what they can do. Do you think that Remco is sort of cosplaying as how life would have been if he'd got the move to, to Ineos Grenadiers, Ooh, like just like sort that. of imagining having Lawrence de Plus and yeah. whoever, Kwiatowski, all ahead of him. And then he's just like, in his mind's eye, it's like, it's sort of, um, what do they call it? Uh, like when you manifest something. Yeah, so if you manifest it there ahead, ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they're, they're just pulling you up the climb. Ideally, he could manifest some teammates between now and the end of the race because it's going to be necessary. <laughs> And I don't know that the Remco train of one thing is going to work every day, but uh, smart move thus far. It may, it, it may work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's that. Uh, all right, any questionable decisions or smart moves that you wanted to call out, Johnny? It's more a question for, for you guys. I feel if, if I've got you both here, I can actually ask you bike racing mm. questions and maybe and like get an answer instead of during the day, during most working days, I'm just on my own until the Americans wake up, so I have to keep these thoughts to, my, to myself. Um, but it occurred to me that maybe more teams should have brought sprinters to this welter, especially if you consider the tour where Jasper Philipson basically won everything. You think a few more teams would think maybe we need some more Grand Tour victories this season. Shall we send some guys who could beat Caden Groves? No disrespect to Caden Groves, but there are definitely some faster guys than him in the World Tour peloton. I think this is a great point, Johnny. I think it goes beyond questionable decision to... Actually, there's no question. I think the teams that didn't bring sprinters that could have gotten stage wins were uh, foolish. There, this was a this was a foolish decision. It wasn't even questionable. I completely agree. There are a lot of wins being left on the table for a lot of teams in this race. Good on Caden Groves for being the one to take them. But you would mm. think that had anybody brought, you know, a decent sprinter, they could have challenged him because he kind of is the only one. Like basically every day when I'm doing the like the up next preview, if it's a sprint stage, 
he's the favorite. That that's not going to change between now and the end of the race as long as he's in the race. So yeah, good point, Johnny. Great point. Especially when you consider the fact that outside of sort of Yumbo and Sudar Quickstep, how many teams can really say they have a dog in the GC fight? Yeah. So like, bring your Enrique Masses or Alexander Vlasovs, but then you probably don't need like a full complement of domestiques to go with them. Because by the time the race is getting serious, or pretty serious, um, mm. they're all going to be jettisoned out the back. Totally. It's it's. I feel like hunting. You know, we're here to we're here to we're targeting stage wins versus like we have a sprinter, or we have a GC team. Is the new we're taking it day by day. Where it's like we don't actually. <laughs> we're there's we a bunch of ga- we're showing up. Maybe some stuff happens. Like <laughs> we yeah. don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, I want to herald someone real quick because uh, I think he has come a little bit closer than I expected him to so far in this race, although maybe looking at the start list, it shouldn't be that surprising. Edward Toons may be the guy at some point to overhaul Caden Groves in a straight-up sprint. He's been third twice. He was sixth on stage five. He's a rider that I think like 10 years ago I thought was going to be the, uh, maybe not the next big thing, but he he seemed very promising as a 22, 23-year-old and the big wins have been hard to come by. He did win a stage at the old Bink Bank Tour. Uh, but that's it. And I think that's that's the sum total of his World Tour victories. And he's knocking on the door here in this race. He's got a lot of speed. He can hold on to his sprint for a decent amount of time. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for Edward Toons. If you're playing the fantasy game, if you haven't used him yet, I'm assuming you've already used your Caden Groves pick. But Edward Toons might be your guy for a sprint stage. He was one of the riders on the late night flight, and he was not very happy about it. So let's hope he uses that, yeah, that there we go. annoyance right and channels it into... Yeah, exactly. Of all of the sort of disciplines within cycling, that, that might be useful to I feel like sprinting is the one. Uh, I don't think you really want to ride on anger as like a going up a long climb. That seems like the kind of thing where you can attack really early and then get dropped. But as a sprinter? You're referring to the, the Mark Soler way of climbing. I Yes, exactly. But I love it. I love that. I love seeing that. So don't ever change, Same. Mark. Um, yeah. <laughs> any other any other thoughts on our current situation at the Vuelta? I, I'm looking forward to having a sensible GC picture, which is something the race has <laughs> foiled entirely so far. I'm, I'm honestly I'm not a huge... I don't get hugely excited for TTs, but I'm kind of excited for this TT. Uh, we know, you know, Remco... With his arrow skin, and I, I think Ronan calculated that uh, Vinugo has a negative coefficient of drag. The air flees from in front of him, so I want to I want to see these two kind of throw down. I know it's not the tour, but I it is unusual to have a TT where I am both excited to see its impact in the GC race and to see two 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 really strong people go head to head in a discipline they are very good at. So in American football, the first down line is digitally superimposed over the field. Uh, in hockey, I'm of the opinion that you can never see the puck, so I kind of love it when uh, they, they make the puck visible on TV. It'd be really cool if they could find some way to make the little air particles visible in front of Remco. Oh, yeah. You know, so we could see them <laughs> jumping out of the way as he, as he TTs his way in, in Valladolid. That is a great shout. But I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, all right. At this point in the race, Cosmo, your favorite thing to do. Oh, we do picks? Mm. I want to know who you think is going to win the race. Oh, the whole race? Now? The whole 
wealth is fine. This you is, can change this, it. I, I might know less than before the race started. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with Vinigo. He, he's looked like he's pretty fit, pretty dialed in. He has kept a super low profile so far. Um, you know, he's, his team is incredibly strong. I think Remco comes to this race with big motivation to win. Um, and he's certainly sort of made himself the main character so far. Uh, but I don't, I don't see how he is going to uh, manage three weeks with the, I, wanna, I don't want to say lack of team support. He has some strong riders here, but um, certainly not dictating terms the way Yumbo is. If this were the talk radio show that I wanted to be Cosmo, that was your opportunity to just completely trash suit all quick step. But no, no, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a generally very respectful person. So I, I, I appreciate that. You're not going to, well, me, me and Patrick Lefebvre, we're really, you know, yeah, you're tight like that. People, people dismiss him, but I can relate to him. I, I really, when he's like, I don't have enough money to do the thing I want to do all the oh, time in every interview. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, true. But, yeah. All right. <sighs> Johnny. Yeah, I want to pick Remco because I think he's just really... It must be something about racing Jumbo Visma at, at Grand Tours, which just makes the other guys seem just very personable. I'm going to get I'm gonna get told <laughs> off of this by listeners. But, and and Prince Roglic, I think, is the antidote to it. But after the whole Richard Plugger, you can't drink thing, and then seeing Sepp curse on the podium with the champagne, it's just... Mm-hmm. Even, even that has... That sort of softened it a bit, but I really want. And but Remco's just been fantastic on the bike and off the bike. But I just don't think he's gonna. I think he got got off lightly last year, and just everything came together somehow for him. Uh, but I agree with everything Cosmo says about uh, Vingago. But I'm gonna stay a bit romantic and believe that Primoz Roglic will win what is fourth welter. Yeah, fourth. And and the main reason for that is that then heading into next year's tour. We then have we will have the inevitable conversation of, well, Vingegaard's won it twice before, but also Roglic won the Giro and the Vuelta last year, and then we get to do the whole who's the leader in the team thing. It'd be great. So I'm I'm just hoping. Uh, I'm on board with that as well. I think Roglic is is the favorite still. I picked him in the beginning. I haven't changed my mind yet. I would. I mean, okay, if Sepkus can hold on, that would be even more romantic and amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Because America, but also I do think he has a legit chance to finish like. At least on the podium, I think he's a real contender, Chris. But I do think that Primoz Roglic is probably the favorite. The more a contender he is, the better a teammate he is, right? So they're going to try to keep him up there. But I just, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the GC looks like after the TT. Did you see Sepp Chris's Strava upload of the of stage six, which he won? No, I didn't. Uh, so he uploaded a photo. I think it was a meme of him and it was him with an American flag and eagle superimposed behind him and then the text I don't know if you can swear on your podcast but you can just oh I know the text because I've seen the tweet but you can say it and yeah it, tell our listeners and it's and it's Sepkus saying what the fuck is a kilometer and it's just great <laughs> yeah I love that um, all you have to do is mark it explicit and we can say whatever we want you know yeah I loved that uh, good on Sep being a memer that's I feel like that is what really gets you in Johnny Long's good graces is memery so it's effective and fun and enjoyable all those things yeah i just want to know that they're looking at them so then the memes continue you know right to know that they're seeing yeah all right let's take a quick look ahead give the listeners a little bit of a idea of what's coming up 
So as we've mentioned multiple times, there is a time trial on stage 10. By the time you're listening to this podcast, it could very well have been finished, depending on how quickly you listen. To drop it right in the middle of the TT. Right at the start of the TT, put the podcast up. If you're watching a really slow rider, you might get through the whole podcast during the TT. Uh, it's very flat. So this would favor anybody who's really good at time trialing. Unfortunately for Remco, the world time trial champion, I think that's also true of Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingago being good at flat TTs. The one rider this really does not suit is Sepkus. Uh, he's not really known for his flat TT prowess. I guess it doesn't really suit Enric Maas either. Yeah, he's not going to love it. But your main favorites will, with the exception of Sepkus. Then, the climbing resumes. Because there's a Cat 1 finish to stage 11. There's a Especial finish on yes, stage 13. Yes, thank you. As they go up the Col du Tourmalet, which I feel like that's that should be an or category climb, right? Because they're in France by that point, so they got to switch over to the French way of categorizing climbs. You, you, you've forgotten that France franced every climb when it went to uh, the, to the UK. Oh, they did. All right, so this is yeah, this is just retribution for. Uh, well, I don't know if it's retribution. I think this is the ASO's. The French race style, has French names. The Spanish race guide. has Spanish names. Yeah. Or category climb slash especial climb into a Cat 3, into a Cat 1 finish on stage 14. That's the day after the Tourmalade they're doing that. Another very hilly stage on stage 15 up near Pamplona. So the sprinters have had their chances. And unfortunately for them, there's going to be a lot of climbing ahead. The day that doesn't finish on a climb still has some climbing. So yeah, stages 10 through 15 have a lot of GC action. Plenty to keep us entertained here. And if you don't like climbing, uh, you can watch the Tour of Britain, where every single stage is basically flat, and there are no time bonuses, so right up until the final stage, I'm pretty sure that every single rider is going to be on the same time. I like that there's no time bonuses. It makes it more interesting. You think mm. that, but then give it like three days, and it's just it's just it's what you were saying earlier, or, or Cosmo was saying earlier, about just like waking up every morning and it's the same. How do you how do you do a tiebreaker in those situations? We... They do count back. I think back, it's count back. I think it's count back. But then the final stage, I think there is a bit of yeah. bit more of a climb up to the finish. But still, yeah, the stage uh, eight mm. was that in Wales, I guess has a uh, has some yeah. some lumps. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah just in route. case you don't like the Vuelta, there are other options out there. Stage seven has some lumps, probably ends in a sprint. Uh, they do start at Tewksbury, which if you're a Wars of the Roses fan, big battle there. So. Um, if you're, if you're mean, a Massachusetts it resident, it's a stop <laughs> on the commuter rail. Who's not? Well, Richard III, probably not a big fan, uh, which is a joke that <laughs> only if you actually know about the Wars of the Roses, you, yeah. Anyway. Wait, wait, Richard, III, Richard III is, you could know Shakespeare and Shakespeare, get the that's Richard right. You III don't have to be a historian to know yeah. about Shakespeare. That's true. Uh, all right. Quick, uh, quick little trip over to Brittany because we're going to do a quick conversation about the racing in Plouay, which was at the world tour level, deserves some attention. And I actually really liked the, what's the opposite of symmetry? The asymmetry. That's a, yeah, it didn't, I don't know why I didn't come up with that right away, but there we go. I liked the asymmetry between these two races because the point that when I'm watching both the women's and the men's race, which have very different names. Despite being on the same course. <laughs> almost the exact opposite thing happened in, in both races. So on the women's side, Misha Bredevold was your winner. 
sprinting to victory with a, what I thought was a far too long sprint. She was in the wind for many seconds. I will argue this and point. And it tactically seemed like not the best way to approach a sprint. Didn't matter. She still won. And I finished, I, I watched the race and at the end I'm thinking, sometimes, sometimes you're just better. And if you know that, then do what you want. So props to Misha Bredevold uh, for being the 9,000th SD Works one-day race winner there. Uh, good for her. And, yeah, good for her for just trusting in her ability to sprint from far out. Uh, she was in a good position with, like, a K to go, but she didn't really have any semblance of, you know, protection from the wind in the final 300 meters and still still beat everybody. There's wind and there's wind. The wind was coming from the opposite side of the road. But I'm going to roll back a little bit because I think this was really good uh, from Estee Works' point of view. You had a long break all day, was caught, I want to say, around 10K to go. Um, and there were a lot of kind of a surge attacks that went away. A really good one from Audrey cardon Rago that I thought was, was going to finally split things up. But Marlon Royster kept bringing things back, kept bringing things back. And then about a K to go, the, the race really has a pedalable downhill. Um into the final 500 meters, 600 meters. Uh, and Royster just pinned that. And I think they knew that after that happened, there would be kind of an accordion regrouping because all the riders who couldn't keep up when she was hammering would have that momentum from the hill and kind of come back together. And Bredeval kind of came out of that. She didn't hit it perfectly where she slingshotted by, but she came in with momentum. She kind of took a couple pedal strokes, I think looked for a wheel to follow, and then it was just like, screw it, and went straight ahead. But she did it uh, on the sheltered side of the road. And Balsamo, uh, Elisa Balsamo, was on the other side of the road, seemed to do a similar thing from a similar position and just couldn't get anywhere. One, she looked kind of flat. But two, if you look at the flags on the side of the course, the wind is coming completely like 90 degrees to the road from Balsamo's side. And it wasn't a hugely windy day. Like there weren't big echelons. But I think in a, in a sprint like that, it, it kind of matters because nobody really came close to Bredevold the whole time. She was she was just stronger than everyone else. And I think that might have been what S-Day Works was going for. So in the end, she actually was tactical and smart about it. I mean, they, there's tactics and there's like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> I have momentum. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. Obviously it worked. She won. Mm-hmm. Uh, good on Bredevold. For, for pulling that off. That that was a pretty powerful sprint. You know, no matter how you slice it, wind, whatever. I mean, she's I mean, strong. She's, she's, she she had some strong. really good wins at um, Tourigan earlier this year. So, Yeah, 23 years old, too. Uh, yet another young SD work star. Men's race, basically the opposite. Uh, perfect positioning, letting everybody else do the work in the last 300, 200 meters, and then Valentin Madouas. See ya. Took the win. Not somebody that you would generally think of as being a sprint favorite. Now, this is a sprint of four riders, so this is not a bunch kick, which is obviously a very big difference. This was Madouas beating Matthew Bergadou, whose name I cannot say without hearing Ian Trelor singing his name, and Felix Grosschartner, perfectly played by Groupama, and Madouas' teammate, Stefan Kung. Valentin Madouas taking that big win. Again, world tour win. That's a big deal. Believe that's his first World Tour win, and he is a Breton rider. So nice to be able to. He's extremely happy. Crowd. Yeah, good for Madouas. Sorry to Matthew Bergadou. Stefan Kung was pretty huge in that win, um, both because two riders from the same team and a four rider break, and also, you know, it's a, a similar situation to the women's where you had this kind of surge and regroup, and Kung was there to keep 
that from happening when it looked like it might happen. Um, and then kind of lead things out so that Madwalk could sit on the back and then open a little gap to get up to speed and whiz by everybody. Um, I'm surprised Kung isn't isn't uh, on better team. <laughs> I, I I personally I have personal issues with the way Mark Matteo, especially as he presented himself in uh, Unchained, kind of runs a team, and I I can't imagine any rider on that team wouldn't want to get away from that team as quickly as possible. I'm sure it's played up for the show, but it's just like seems like a total goat rodeo. I do think at at Groupama, Stefan Kuhn gets a chance to really be a uncontested leader in a bunch of races. So I, I, he has to. I would imagine he, he likes uh, that. I think he would be. be he would have better chances winning at like a second option at. Yeah, that's step. definitely a Christophe Laporte situation where like maybe go to a better yeah. team and you win more. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, you, you got to imagine that he just doesn't want to go and do domestique duties for like every other day of the year, right? That's true. You got to think that a, he. I don't know. He's a big guy. They yeah. would. I mean, he's you know a huge dude is always useful in a bike race, kind of regardless. So, yeah. When you said was... in the beginning of that Cosmo that he was huge in this race, my first thought was he's pretty ah. much huge in every race. That's sort of his thing. Fair. He's, That's his. He's he's his big in road cycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how how much do you think his time trialing equipment? This is a question for Ren. His time trialing equipment at Group Home FTJ affects the fact mm. that he always comes forth in time trials yeah that's, that's the a, one thing holding him back i don't know that's actually a really good consideration for him i've had the same problem in cat three road racing i'm always like 26 <laughs> yeah. and i think it's just because i don't have the wind yeah. time so that's me same here when i'm trying to get uh, strava kom's <laughs> in and around boulder and it's just that kaylee's in the top 10 of so many Yumbo of Visma, you wouldn't have to oh, do with this, this stuff that's you know? true it's true you know who does have a lot of strava kom's in boulder sepkus you know what team he rides for there you go <laughs> that's it QED. All right. I think we've been pretty serious, kind of serious for long enough. If you have enjoyed this podcast and if you enjoy the other podcast, if you, even if you didn't enjoy this podcast, if you tried it out, but it's not for you, maybe you like Geek Warning. Maybe you like Placeholders. Maybe you like Wheel Talk. Maybe you just want to read Johnny's articles over at EscapeCollective.com. He's shaking his head, but I want to read. I want to read Spin Cycle. Uh, all I want to see the spin cycle Photoshop illustration. Every day, every spin cycle, my fiance is just waiting for that. She loves it. She loves the Photoshopped laundromat. And I, so if you're into that, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join and sign up. We'd love to have your support. Thanks for listening. Cosmo, Johnny, thanks for chatting. And we will, well, we'll see you when we see you. <laughs>